Welcome to Law Enforcement Today, the podcast. I'm your host. My name's John J. Wiley. I'm a radio broadcaster and also retired Baltimore police sergeant. In every Law Enforcement Today podcast, we'll be joined by special guests. We'll be talking about issues that affect law enforcement officers, both active and retired, their families, friends, and supporters. We'll also be discussing incidents in the news from the perspective of those in law enforcement. Be sure to check out our website, lawenforcementtoday.com, and please take the time to like and follow us on Facebook. Search for Law Enforcement Today. The Law Enforcement Today radio show brought to you by Galls.com. That's G-A-L-L-S.com. Robert, you've been dealing with them for a long time, haven't you? Long time, 31 years, and they've been in business for 50 years. Their selection is unparalleled. They've got everything from boots, glasses, gun holsters, concealable bags, everything. You get everything at Galls.com, and their customer service is unparalleled. Delivered right to your door. Never even have to leave your house. Galls.com. Also check them out on Facebook and Instagram. Joining us from St. Lucie County, Florida, just next door. Very close. Very close. Thanks for joining us today, Milton. I really, really appreciate it. Uh, Very special guest, folks. So... My uh, Milton, pleasure. thank you for joining us. Pleasure. Thank you for having me. Milton, you were a retired NYPD officer. Yes, sir. And now, what are you doing? I am both working with the uh, Sheriff's Office in St. Lucie County as a, as a deputy, and I'm also the staff chaplain for the Vero Beach Police Department. You're a busy guy. In retirement, you, you're staying really, really busy. Oh, I, I have no involved. idea what you're talking about, retirement. <laughs> I retired at the ripe old age of 33 due to injury, and I had to find something else to do. And uh-huh. uh, Well, partly financial also. Man, right. idle mind is a horrible thing. Well, they say that's the devil's playground or something like that. <laughs> yeah, I, I love uh, law enforcement and the entire law enforcement community. Um, I am still years into it a kid in a candy store. I love what I do. I love, I'm not a supervisor or anything, but I consider um, the cops that, that I work with my cops and uh, I love each and every single one of them. Milton, we have you on today because you have something to share with everybody out there. Um, it's a day that'll go down or has gone down in history and, and, and we're specifically talking about 9-11 and um, like you to share your experience on that horrific day. Yeah, and and before I, I I get started on that, you know, my mom, I'm not anything special. There are hundreds, if not thousands, of of similar stories from cops, uh, not just from New York City that day, um, but from the surrounding areas that like, came out and helped us. After 9/11, the word hero became synonymous, and, and none of us consider ourselves that. Um, we reserve that word for the guys that never made it out, and uh, the the firemen as well, and those are the, the true heroes. And like I said, there are many stories like the one that I'm going to say. This is just, it happens to be my story and what happened to me that day. I was assigned to uh, narcotics. I was in the Organized Crime Control Bureau, the Narcotics Division, of uh, OCCB. Um, I was a narcotics detective and I had done a night shift the, the night before. And so I was at home that morning and uh, we had worked late. I was sleeping and I got a phone call and the phone call came in. I picked up the phone and uh, they said, hey, turn on the TV. And uh, as soon as I turned on the TV, I was 
just dumbfounded by what I had seen. It it was um, just something that I never, ever imagined. Um, Just like... I guess every everybody else in New York City, you'd you'd been to the World Trade Center, you, you'd uh, driven by there probably hundreds of times, and uh, it it didn't look like the World Trade Center that I had uh, come to know and love. So you're you're at home, you work the night shift, you get home, you fall asleep, you're waking up for a phone call, and you turn on the TV and see what the rest the the rest of America is watching. Yes. Um, right away, uh, first words out of my mouth, I got to go. Um, I got dressed and jumped into my car and uh, got on the highway. And New York City traffic is normally very busy. And on that day, um, I was on the Staten Island Expressway heading into uh, Brooklyn uh, on my way into Manhattan. And How far away from you from the incident were you? I was two counties away. I lived in in, uh, Staten Island at the time. And so to get to Manhattan, I had to go from Staten Island into Brooklyn and then from Brooklyn then drive in through the the Brooklyn Battery Tunnel into downtown uh, Manhattan. When I got onto the highway, I just traffic stopped. And that's when um, I felt just total um a feeling of not being able to do anything i i saw where i needed to be um and i knew i had to be there i wanted to be there i wanted to be there as soon as possible but traffic just stopped um and then shortly thereafter it 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 seemed like a long time but shortly thereafter an emergency uh lane opened up and so i was able to get it like i said get into manhattan i mean uh, get into brooklyn and uh and get into uh the brooklyn battery tunnel as i before i got into the brooklyn battery tunnel though i i saw an ambulance and uh on my way in on the brooklyn battery tunnel right before I got in, I saw papers flying away. And, and this is an entire county away from lower Manhattan. Um, and I saw it, it seemed like it was raining paper. Um, and so there was dust and I saw an ambulance on the side of the road. And I said, let me just stop and get a mask. Um, I'm thinking like everybody else that the paper mask would protect me. Mm-hmm. So I stop the ambulance uh, crew gives me a uh, a mask and I was driving a minivan which is what what we used in, in narcotics many times and uh drove into the Brooklyn Battery Tunnel and it was really the eeriest feeling that I have ever had because it was September it was warm and as soon as I drove into the tunnel my tires sounded like I was driving on a foot of snow. And there was this humming noise on on the way in. It was going from daylight to nighttime. And it was just really, really eerie. When I got to the other side, lower Manhattan looked nothing like the lower Manhattan that I had driven into hundreds of times before. We all saw the the video footage, we saw the news reports, and yet I still can't 
imagine what it was like to be in your shoes or in the shoes of a first responder going there. And I'll jump in. He doesn't even know what's going on. And he's going through a bridge, which could have been blown up. The next thing that would have been blown up. You know, um, we've we've heard intel that, you know, at some point they're going to go after our in- infrastructure. Right. And, and uh, so here it is. Uh, Milton's driving in, not thinking about his own safety. just wants to get there and help, like most of us. And that, that was going to what I was thinking. I was going to ask Milton. You know, I know what it's like. My wife asked me, did you get afraid on the job? I said, usually I didn't have time. You know, you get a call, you respond to the call, you're doing what you got to do. I would get scared and, and lack of better words, fearful when I knew I was going to do like search and seizure warrants for a drug arrest or go after a room entry for an extremely violent offender. That time, you know, I'd pray ahead of time or everything else. This scenario, nothing could prepare someone for this How, what it take you 20 30 minutes to get there maybe an hour and your mind's got to be going all along like i gotta get there i gotta help i gotta do what was that like what was going on in your head right it, it took me uh, much less time to get there um because like i said there was an, an emergency lane that was opened up and it was only for first responders and so while everybody else was stuck we were flying there when I got there, it's a good point that you're making. I had executed search warrants and, and, and stuff, and I had been in situations where I didn't have time to, to be afraid. I got scared afterwards, or I kind of right. felt the adrenaline, and the adrenaline got me through. No, in this situation, I was clearly thinking about what I was driving into. As a matter of fact, um, when, I, when I began to enter into the, the tunnel, I kind of checked um, on my relationship with God. I, I, I said, Lord, I, I just want to make sure that, that we're okay because um, I know that there's danger there, and I know I have to go, and, and that's not a question. I was going, but I wanted to make sure that when I went into that tunnel, when I came out of the other side, should I die, I wanted to know where I was going. Yeah. Um, and so... There, there's a saying, and, and it doesn't come to mind right now, uh, the exact saying, but um, the fact that uh, danger uh, or, or something like that, you, you, you go to it regardless, um, or bravery is, you know, not, not, uh, not being scared or something like that, just going despite you know, whatever. Heading towards danger in spite of your fear. Yes, yes, yes. <laughs> I just totally drew a blank. That's all right. Um, but uh, you know, we all knew where we we all knew where we were headed, and we all knew um, because we could not only see it, we heard it on the radio, we heard it on the on the FM station on the on the news station. Plus, we would hear on the police radio what was going on. So it's not like we didn't know. It's not like we got surprised when we got there. We knew exactly what we were driving into. And like I said, it, it was every first responder. It's, I don't have a unique story. Every first responder knew where, where you know, where he was headed or she was headed. Um, and it's just, you know that that's your job. And uh, for me, I know that, that that's always been my calling. And, uh, and you go. You just go. So any other circumstances or any thoughts going through your mind or you finally get there? And I can only imagine the chaos that's going on. I've been on some horrific scenes, but nothing in even nothing close to this. So I could just imagine or was there a calm or was it utterly chaos or, or you know, 
tell us what was going on and what was happening. It was, there was chaos. I've never, ever been to war, but as soon as I got on the other side, um, it, it kind of, when I look back at it, it kind of uh, um, reminds me of some of the, maybe the war scenes uh, that I've seen on, on television where, you know, people are walking around like zombies um, and, and you, don't, you don't really recognize buildings that, that you would have otherwise. Right. When I drove up, uh, I saw people with black faces, um, some of them running, some of them in a daze, um, people carrying children, running for their lives, um, and then other people just going around in circles, like in, in disbelief. Um, I drove up different roads to get north of the World Trade Center, which is where everybody was uh, was meeting. Now, I had been assigned to uh, narcotics, like I told you before, and I, I had worked a case a while before, uh, and I was supposed to drive up stolen tractor trailers from, from Pennsylvania. So the NYPD sent me to a tractor trailer school a while before. And so, and so I found a chief, one of, one of our chiefs and I went up to him and I said, I have a tractor trailer license. I can drive anything we have. What do you need me to do? And, uh, he walked me over to another chief that was, uh, that, that was doing some work or, or trying to place, personnel in, in different areas to do different functions right. and uh there was just nothing to move at the time and uh like a bunch of other people we just walked around and looked for stuff to do we helped out who we could we we um helped people get out and and pointed them in the right direction if somebody was having a hard time uh, running we would help them a block or two and then go back uh, and try to help somebody else i went to new york my family up there and i went to new york many many times as a child and i grew up with the world trade center there and it's always part of the skyline the, you always think of when you see it when you're approaching uh so that day I, I was devastated i didn't know anybody personally there but several years later i was in new york for business and i went by the World Trade Center site uh, that still was very much under construction. And there were a couple NYPD officers there uh, working security or whatever. And I walked up and I told them, a retired Baltimore police. And I just wanted to say to them something along the lines of, I'm sorry. And I can't imagine what it must have been like, not just for you, but your entire agency. And I got like, I'm sorry out. And that was it. Right. And started. Uh, tearing up because it was just it's unfathomable mm -hmm. it's, what it's you something. guys and, and men and women went through I mean the civilians that were there the law enforcement officers that were there uh, the firefighters that were there all the ones that lost their lives all the families that were, that were affected. negatively affected and you guys went and did your job how do people process that because getting over that it's got to be yeah. Tremendous. I mean, I don't know the words coming, but getting over that experience and having a full, productive, semi semi normal life after mm -hmm. something like that. How how's that start? Yeah, there's there's light at the end of the tunnel, and uh, and it it is a bruise that never goes away. It is something that you know stays with you forever. 
but it's not a tattoo. Uh, and I think that's, that's kind of like a, a way that I've been able to, to explain it. So it, it's a bruise, but it's not a tattoo. You're, you're able to, um, to look at yourself in the mirror and, and say, hey, I'm still whole. I am, um, I'm able to function. And I had a, I had a really hard time um, dealing with it for many years. Um, I would wake up in the middle of night uh, with nightmares. Um, I, I never wanted to speak about it uh, for, for a good long time. I wouldn't want to talk about it if anybody brought up the subject. I, I just either walk away or talk about something else or, or tell them, hey, I, I just don't want to talk about it. Um, until a gentleman uh, approached me and said, hey, what do, you, what do you know about Pearl Harbor? And I said, well, I know ABCD. And he said, you only know that because somebody that was there decided that it was important to talk about it. In, in talking about it, you're helping other people understand it, and you're helping yourself purge yourself of it. And sure enough, I was able to um, start little by little with, with people that I, I trusted and people that, um, that I really found myself close to, started talking about it. And now I, I'll just, I'll, I'll talk about it at any time. Um, actually, I, I have several schools here in, in, in this county that um, for September 11th, it's an ongoing thing. They always want me to come and, and talk to the kids in an assembly. And I have a, an entire presentation with uh, pictures and videos that I do because it's really important. What that gentleman told me is, is so true. It is utterly important that the kids understand what happened that day. And uh, I'm a, none of them, the, the kids that, that I do this presentation um, to here at, at my school, none of them knew or they, they've heard about it. They know, oh, September 11th, we know that we were attacked. They know about the World Trade Center. They know about the Pentagon, Pennsylvania. But when they walk out, having witnessed it, through video. I, I like to say that I place them there from the, the safety of a school chair. And it, there's nothing that is vulgar. There's nothing, obviously, the, the violence of the attack. I don't show them anything um, gory, but I do take them there. And they walk out with a an incredible understanding of what actually happened that day. What are some of the uh, common questions you get from guys like me and Jay, or even the kids at school? What do people ask you, and uh, what's some of the most asked questions since you were there? One of the one of the many people that were there helping. Uh, um, one of the many things. Um, did you know anybody that that died? Um, yes. I, I worked with uh, with a, a gentleman um, who went from the the fire department. To, I'm sorry, from the police department to the fire department. His name was uh, Jimmy Richies, and uh, and he passed away. Um, a great friend of mine, uh, James Brown, had also. Um, I would worked with him in in the police department. He had just transferred over, and I I had spoken to him a sh- a short time before that, and I knew he was assigned to the station across the street. And uh, my heart 
you know, immediately um, thought of him. Another question that, that I'll get often is, um, did you see any dead bodies? Did you, where were you when the buildings came down? That's, that's another question. And I was, when the last building came down, I was probably um, like a block and a half away. Wow. And um, it's just, when the building comes down, I just looked at it like a deer in headlights. And uh, when the building comes down, it doesn't just come down. It comes down and, and it comes towards you. So there's smoke and soot and debris just flying towards you. I turned around and ran. And as I'm running, uh, I'm, I'm thinking, like many other people, uh, I, I know now how I'm going to die. I know that this is, you know, this is the way it's going to happen. And I was able to run behind an ambulance. I opened the door. Uh, as soon as I opened the door, thinking, wow, I'm going to be the only smart guy that, that gets away. As soon as I opened up the door, it looked like a can of sardines. The last person to push my way in, wow. I closed the door, and uh, that's all I know. If if you can remember the movie Saving Private Ryan, yes. when, uh, when he was at the beach and he was he couldn't hear. He was just walking around. I don't know how I got out of the ambulance. I don't know how long I was in the ambulance. I remember coming to, waking up, walking. I wasn't on the ground. Um, I remember walking in, in lower Manhattan and, uh, and then just kind of regaining my senses little by little, just walking. And not only walking, I was walking, but I had to lift my legs up because there was debris up to my knees. So to, to take one step, I had to lift my leg and kind of swing it around my body. And uh, the same That's insane. The I remember seeing the videos. And, and Robert, you grew up in New York. I did. You came did. down here to South Florida when you were like 15? Yeah. I remember the videos. I remember visiting the town a lot and uh, that whole area and lots of relatives. And still, when, I, when you hear listen to you talk, Milton, mm-hmm. it's like... The videos are replaying in my head of yeah. the tower coming doing, down, uh, and I'm, I'm, my you're breath us is there. coming away. Yeah, you're putting us right there. I, I've got a stupid cop question, I guess. You know, me okay. when when you were telling the story about the van, Jay's expression, like, uh, was, and I'll tell you why in a moment. But yeah, go ahead. He, he was like smiling, so because I know that from my past experiences when I've been in a traumatic experience nothing like compared to what you've been in that i joke about it i look at the humor and the funny side of it and my question was popping to my mind was what's going on in that ambulance like are you guys like is it pandemonium is everybody like quiet because they think that's it what's going on in that ambulance and then uh jay can tell us what he was thinking when you were telling this story so articulately Right. Uh, so I don't know oh, uh, because when I closed that door, it was pitch dark, and like I said, I, I just I don't know. I know I like pushed my way in and closed the door and turned the knob of of the of the lock, and um, that's all I remember. I don't know. Like I said, I don't know how long I was in there. I don't know how I got out. I know that I made it in, and uh, and I made it out. 
And that was the final building that went down when this. That was yeah. That was uh, building seven. Was the last building that that uh, that came down, and that was hours after um, the the original two towers right. um, came down. Yeah. Now, the reason I was smiling and I started to laugh, and not because it's funny, none of uh-huh. it's funny at all, is because also often mm-hmm. uh, police uh, who haven't been involved in a bad situation. Or, or civilians will, will say, you know, well, if I was there, I would have done oh, this. You know, and they're, I'm thinking, awesome. you yeah. don't know what you're going to do when uh-huh. the unimaginable happens. And right. I, I was starting to laugh because you always see in the movies they have these short, cryptic, one-line things that the you know the badass cop says, and uh-huh. uh, they're you so heroic. We make insane noises. You mm-hmm. don't know what's going to come out of your mouth. You have no idea what you're going to do. Right, right. And it's so easy from a distance to say, oh, I would have done that. Or why did he do that? That was cowardly. This wasn't. It's so easy for people yeah. to just jump on a bandwagon that they know absolutely nothing about and have no experience with whatsoever. Yeah. Well, I tell you, when you have a, a, a building pretty much chasing you down, Running is, I think, the the only option that you have. Oh, I'd be screaming! I'd be yeah. running and screaming. <laughs> I'm and, I pro- and I probably was. I have no idea. Um, I'm amazed you had the presence of mind to jump into a the ambulance. You know, mm-hmm. I, I, you know, I'm trying to put myself there, Jay, and I don't even know what I would do. I, I can't. I'm with I'm with, with you, Robert. I can't. Yeah. I don't have. I mean, I've been some bad things. A house fire. Two house fires. I got smoke inhalation. You know, and it's uh. That that doesn't even in my mind rank anywhere near what what Bolton and these brothers and sisters went through. Mm-hmm. I don't have a point of reference. I guess is what I'm saying. Yeah. Well, you, I'll tell you what. You, um, you say that, but you you just react, right. and you would do the same thing. You would you would come up with uh, something to do, and and somebody else would look at that and go. Jay, how did you think of like what did you what was going on in your mind and and it's so um, it's so overstated but it's so true the fact that your training kicks in and not that I ever trained to jump into the back of an ambulance <laughs> right. or anything like that <laughs> right. but um, right. but you you just think you know tactically what is the sound thing to do and uh, I honestly I I had I think I. I came to the acceptance as I was running that I was going to die by having something hit me in the back of the head and I would just be, you know, crushed or, or whatever. And only because this, this thing, this stuff, and I don't, I don't, to this day, I have no idea what it was. I know it was smoke and soot and debris that was, you know, Steel, it was a building wood, whatever it was. Yeah, it was. There were chairs. There were everything in right. there. Um, and so ever, that was coming closer. Have you ever felt that before in your career that this is it? Uh, no, not not to that extent. Uh, I'm, I've been shot at. I was a an undercover, and uh, I. I you know, purchase drugs. And I had a guy, you know, take out a knife on me in in an apartment, and um, I I had this this in many incidents, but not to that extent. Right, and I think I think we all, at least I do, that you know, the knife attack. We always think that 
we're prepared or we can handle that situation. But you're against a building here coming down. I don't think that anybody. I, yeah. I, Right. I don't think that that's something, and I've played a lot of scenarios over in my head in my career, and that's not one I've no. ever, ever, mm-hmm. ever thought about it. So you jump out of the ambulance, you're stumbling around, now you're you're a zombie like the rest of the people. Time goes by, you come through and take us back to what you did next. We just walked around and, and pulled stuff out. Um, the The department kind of broke things up where you can't, have, at, at the moment, everybody just wants to jump in. And I would say 99, if not more, 99 point whatever percent of the department was either either there or headed there. And, and from an administrative standpoint, you can't have everybody there at the same time. Um, so you kind of break things up. So you'll do, you know, Alpha, Bravo, 12-hour shifts. Um, they, they told a bunch of us, hey, just calm down, we're going to get some people in there, and then we're going to get you in there. Um, when it was my turn uh, eventually to, to go in, um, I joined the Bucket Brigade, like hundreds of other cops, and uh, what that was is uh, we, we formed a line going into the debris, and uh, we would uh, put debris in buckets and just pass them back. We would fill a bucket as best we could. We couldn't use shovels because um, it was steel under us. And so a shovel is steel, steel, and steel. We would never bring it up. So we, we grabbed it um, with our hands. We would fill buckets and just pass them along. Some buckets went out. More buckets came in. And uh, we moved you know, some debris that way. And, and, uh, and we helped out where we could. We were hoping to be able to to rescue many, many, many more people, but there really wasn't a lot of people to to rescue, at least in in the area that I was. And this this would go on. This went on for months. We we got assigned there for months. Um, the bucket brigade. Not only did we move some some debris, a lot of debris, but it also help the cops and the firemen and the construction workers to feel like they were doing something. Something that, that really, let me tell you, one thing sticks out in my mind, and that is the fact that it all, sta- it all stands out, but one thing overall, and that's going subhuman, and I will explain. So we had cadaver dogs that, you know, would sweep an area. If, if somebody you know, got the, the ascent, uh, and this was weeks later, if you got a scent of, you know, somebody decaying under there, you would call for a cadaver dog. Well, as you know, cadaver dogs can only work but so long because you have to put them up and you have to rest them. So after a while, we were, everybody was, was, was doing the unthinkable. So you would search and search and when you thought that you were close to somebody's remains, you would remove the mask yourself, you would go down on your hands and knees, and you would look and search for the smell of somebody's body. And, and a, a human body that's decaying has a, a very particular scent. And I never, ever thought that I would be um, searching that out. We've all been to 
apartments or homes where, where people have passed and, and we got to investigate. And it's very different when you're on your hands and knees and you're searching for the smell of, of you know, human decay. That stands out, uh, I think, above everything else because you kind of get this, you know, wow, I, I, I kind of went subhuman there, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Primal. And there's a lot of situations where you have to be primal. Yes. And that, that, again, I, I couldn't imagine. And before we get on and before I lose track, I want to say thank you for that. Because uh, I, I never signed up for police work, and I'm sure you didn't either. Mm-hmm. And um, that was exemplary work done by the NYPD and all the other agencies. And I know people from Baltimore went there. I, I met some people that were... Uh, search and rescue dog handlers that went there and uh, worked there for many, many days. And we're still losing officers yes, uh, on like on a monthly basis that worked 9-11 due to yes. all these cancers. And We've we just had a couple more. Last, last month or so. We've lost more from the after effects and uh, World Trade Center and 9-11 related cancer than we lost that day. We have lost more first responders to cancer than we lost that day. How does that affect your psyche? Um, for me, it's it's painful. Um, I have I have a relationship with God, and and I know when my time comes, I know where I'm going, um, and I just I pray that that you know first responders that are that are going through um, either PTSD or they're going through health issues. I just I pray that they would reach out. And uh, and either to their chaplain or their their pastor or their clergyman, um, and just get that checked off. Get that you know your relationship with God. Just make sure that it, it's where it needs to be because it's so easy for alcohol to come in. It's so easy to substitute um, or, or self-medicate with, with so many things that aren't healthy for a police officer, whether it's a young officer or a veteran officer. Many officers just reach the end of their rope, and uh, it's unfortunate. You know, you know the, the suicide rate amongst uh, police officers is, is way too high. You bring up a subject that I was eventually going to get to, but you did a great segue for me. And what is it that NYPD or the fire department, what are they doing for the people, the brave men and women like yourself that were at 9-11 and did those horrific things uh, that you were just just describing to us? Um, the NYPD uh, has, uh, is part of uh, Mount Sinai, uh, they have a program at Mount Sinai that uh, there's counseling available, there's health care available, and uh, you sign up for it. And I encourage every first responder to sign up for it. You do a yearly checkup, um, and you're, you're able to speak with a counselor. Um, you're able to speak with a psychologist, psychiatrist, and there is absolutely nothing, nothing wrong with, you know, checking in. If you if you're making an arrest and um, you happen to let's say you get hurt, you break your arm. Well, nobody thinks twice about going to the hospital and, and having a cast put on or 
um, you know, getting your your shoulder operated on or your or your knee operated on. Man, there is nothing wrong with taking care of yourself emotionally. There's also peer support groups like Papa. Um, just reach out to somebody. If you, you need to have a relationship with somebody that you can trust, and whether that's your union rep, whether that's a trusted supervisor, or if, if you don't feel like you know going to, to the department, there are so many outside agencies that are just available to help. Mount Sinai is just one of them. One of the things you said, and it by talking about these things it helps keep the memories alive it helps other educate other people what it was like but in a way you're also helping save lives of other first responders who were either 9-11 or there's so many others gone through other catastrophic things Mm -hmm, and they're mm -hmm. they're injured mentally and uh, they're struggling so this is vital message to get out there Mm because a lot a lot of people now one of the things you hit on and I was kind of smiling inside because Without going into great detail, I pray tremendously every day, and I, I meditate, and I exercise, and that's all part of my spiritual relationship with God so that I can be whole and, and happy and healthy. But you know what? When people talk to me about that when I was struggling, mm-hmm. I couldn't hear them, and I had to figure out, okay, that's like you know the seventh or eighth step down the road. How, what do I do first? And you, you made the point. Talk to somebody. Mm-hmm. Recognize everyone is it is a, a an injury to the brain, no different than an injury to the shoulder or knee. Yes, and you've got to treat it. And part of it is you can't isolate, withdraw, self medicate. You got to go talk to somebody. Right. Yeah. And then you get to where you're at. Mm-hmm. Hopefully. Yes. And and there are days when when I still struggle. There are days when I think about it. Many years ago, certain certain um, sense. Would, would trigger it, or the sound of a fire engine. I, I took my son to uh, a firehouse on, a, on a, a, I think it was a Boy Scout trip, field trip, and um, the firemen in the, in the station, they were demonstrating their jackets and how they have an alarm, and if they don't move for a certain amount of time, an alarm goes off, and it it just triggered once that alarm went off because there were thousands of those alarms going off on, on September 11th and, and, you know, in the weeks that followed. Wow. Um, yeah. I can imagine. Um, well, Mid- Milton, um, you know, uh, I don't even know what to say. <laughs> and I've never been a loss for words. No, but, you're rarely ever a loss yeah, for words. But I, I just want to say something that I'm so proud of you and why I say that is, because you said something that, other than the story, which was phenomenal and, and uh, detailed, and you said that initially you couldn't talk about it. And yeah. it wasn't until this World War veteran said a simple sentence to you that changed your life forever. Mm-hmm. And so hopefully today, you coming on our show, speaking about this, if we can just you know, it would be amazing if we're able to affect just one life from this show. Yes, yes. One other thought I had. Mm -hmm. I remember post 9-11, and it was, it seemed like for a couple years, uh, not just in New York, but throughout uh, at least the Atlantic states, 
there was so much respect and admiration and appreciation for police officers, firefighters, EMTs, first responders, nurses, everybody that that worked in that. And people were so willing to to say thank you on a daily to to any anybody they met who wore a uniform, they'd say thank you to veterans, Mm -hmm. everybody. What the heck happened? Look at us now. How quickly we forget. Yeah. And and that that happens. I tell you, it was one of the one of the things that really got us through the way we got through it um, was the fact that people we could see people appreciating our work. And and actually, when we would come down the West Side Highway, the West Side Highway was lined up with people, and they just even if they just had a sign that said thank you. It, it, no matter how exhausted we, we were, no matter how much pain we were in, it kind of helped push us further. And it, it went so far. It went so far. And so where did it go? I, I don't know. Um, but we, as, a, as a society, as a country, as a nation, we, we need to just be able to, to recognize our first responders, our firemen, our police officers, and just, you know, be able to say, you know, hey, man, just, I just want to say thank you. Just two words, two words, just thank you. That's it. And I want to say thank you for, again, for your service, for what you did, what you still continue to do. And I really want to thank you for coming on our show. And I think your story uh, your testament will have a big impact on a lot of people. And, and for one, Robert, everybody who associated with law enforcement, thank you very much. Thank you. I appreciate that. Robert, that was amazing. Unbelievable. We've been saying that all the time. We, we say unbelievable and amazing after so many of our interviews. But I'm telling you, that was unbelievably amazing. Yeah, he did an awesome job being able to actually take you to the scene. I don't know if you got that feeling. I did. I, did. I was visualizing my head driving through the tunnel and then the all the ash and soot feeling like snow. And when he talked about the building coming down and being chased by all the debris from the the, the building, it was like seeing a nightmare in yeah. my dreams. You know, the, the the wave that's so big that's coming at you. Like it was theater of the mind. I just, you know, I asked him about uh, getting help because I I just don't see how somebody gets over that. I don't think you ever really truly do, and I think that's part of what he, the the wonderful part of his story is that he said it's a bruise but not a tattoo. Right. You know, it's part of him, and it's part of who he is. It's part of what he's been through, but it doesn't describe him or define him. Right. Which I think is the the story that so many in law enforcement and first responders need need to hear is that this is part of who we are. It's in, I bleed blue. We say that all the time. I still do, but I'm not defined and limited by all those past experiences anymore. That's a great way to articulate it. I just, uh, and you know what? The other thing I love that he's doing, we didn't even really spend that much time on it. He's keeping the story alive by yeah. teaching the youth uh, of the people in his jurisdiction that he's There's currently kids that never, weren't even alive then. Right, right. And so. he's, he's teaching them in uh, St. Louis County School Systems in St. Louis County, Florida. He's a school resource officer. He's still actively involved in his community, helping children. The stuff that law enforcement officers do all the time, but you know that ne- that message doesn't get out in the media. Correct. Well, hopefully they'll uh, hear this this show and uh, maybe uh, Milton 
will be asked to speak to the media about something yeah, like this. That would be great. He was a phenomenal guest, and I'm sure we will be talking to him again in the future. This episode of our radio show podcast brought to you in part by Galls, G-A-L-L-S dot com. They've been doing business for law enforcement officers, first responders for 50 years. Check out their amazing online catalog. They've got absolutely everything you could ever need. The the customer service, how good is it? Perfect, A plus. You know, but what I, you know, my big thing about this, and I say this over and over, folks support companies that support law enforcement, and Gaul steps up to the plate for first responders, police officers, firemen. They support us. We need to support them. And we'll be telling you more about the great folks behind the Gauls brand in the very near future. If someone wants to be a guest on a radio show, it doesn't matter where you are. If you're in Pennsylvania, you're in Florida. Our studios are here in Florida. You could be in Alaska. We can accommodate you from anywhere. What do they do, Robert? Just can contact us on Facebook, on Law Enforcement Today's page. Just hit us up with a personal message on our website at the bottom. There's contact us. Uh, just submit out, fill out the form. Or you can contact myself at Jay, at Jay at LawEnforcementToday.com or Robert at LawEnforcementToday.com. It's really simple, folks. With technology, reach out to us. We can reach back out to you. And uh, this show is for you, about you, and we'd love to hear from you. So on behalf of everybody associated with law enforcement today, I'm John J. Wiley. See ya. Very well done.